right, hopefully you all <clears throat> enjoyed that. Um, I, I don't know if any of you are like me, like when they said count the stars, how many of you like that were distracted actually started counting them? Anybody? Anybody just tried? No? Nobody just started looking up there and thinking, ah, nah, I'm not going to do it. I know I was, I was tempted to do that. Um, we're going to continue on in our book, um, in, in the Psalms that we've been going through this summer. And last week, if you weren't with us, um, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to the sermon. We, um, we addressed um, the issues going on in our world right now surrounding um, the death of George Floyd. Um, and so if you have questions about that, wondering what I think about that or what the church thinks about that, you can hop on um, our website and, or podcast and find um, the sermon there. But I want to jump back in. Um, the Psalms this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 51, and if, if you want to follow along with us, um, if, you, if you need a Bible at home, we still have the Bibles we usually put out, but we put them up. Um, but if you need one at home, find me afterwards or find Jay, and we'll, uh, we'll get you a Bible to take home if you need one of those. But let me, um, yeah, let me uh, pray for our time together, and then we'll jump in. Father, I want to begin by not forgetting what we talked about last week. Um, our, our country is, in a lot of ways, still really struggling. And as your people, people of God, we want to turn to you first. We want to ask you for help. We want to ask you for your wisdom. And we want to intercede for um, groups of people, because that's what we for sure can do during this time. I want to pray for um, the families of those who have been um, affected by this, who have been killed recently. I want to pray for their families. I want to pray for um, African Americans right now. I pray that as um, the, the white people in this room, including me, that we would listen well to African Americans. We'd be students and learners, and like we said last week, to have humility and empathize right now with them. I pray for also just um, all people of color, because this just goes, goes beyond African Americans, that we would um, begin to learn what issues are in play. And if we've been blind in any areas of what's happening in our world, I pray that you would help us understand those things. I pray for law enforcement. Pray for those who are trying to protect us, trying to keep us safe, who, who, um, who are um, still going about their jobs, trying to protect and serve in the midst of a really, really difficult time that they are facing right now. I pray for leaders in our country, from national to local to state level, as we begin to talk about policies and to talk about um, how things can move forward in a healthier way and how... Um, the most people in our society can flourish, which is what you want us to be about as the church. We want to see people that are made in your image flourish. And I pray for churches, our church and all the other churches, and especially those who are Bible-believing churches, I pray that we would continue to, to focus on the word and speak truth and cry out for your help and your intercession. You would give us wisdom. You would give us the right things to say. You would not allow us to be passive, but we bring something unique to the table, and that is the gospel. Through the power of the Spirit, that's what we bring to the table. So I pray that you wouldn't, you would, uh, wouldn't let churches forget their first love, 
and just Jesus in this case, that we would move into these issues um, thinking about your son. I pray for this morning. I pray that we would be changed by the word. I pray that we would be focused on your character. And as a result of looking at your character this morning, I, I pray that you would change us, that you would call us to yourself, that you would deepen our relationship with you this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So if I was to ask um, this room this morning to say, to, to, to raise your hands, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, um, but if I was to ask you to raise your hands, if you were to, to, to think of this just this past week, and if you messed up at all in any area, if you messed up, if you thought something you shouldn't have thought, you did something you shouldn't have did, you, you fell short of some standard, you felt like you could have been better, or even that you weren't perfect this last week. Like everyone hopefully would raise their hands. So this just isn't a Christian problem, this is a human problem, right? We, we, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all f- fall short of that mark. And so what do we do with that? Right? What do we do with those questions? What do we do with the feelings that that brings up, like guilt and shame? How do we learn to grow and, and, and maybe do things different the next time or change, change our behavior in some of those areas? How do we go about doing that? And these are really big questions that I think we probably think about more than we realize But I want to call our attention to those this morning as we look at Psalm 51. Because Psalm 51 is the classic psalm of repentance. It's one of the uh, most popular psalms, probably one of the most familiar songs. And if you remember, this is when shortly after, David, who is confronted by the prophet Nathan. Now what David did was he um, committed adultery with uh, Bathsheba. really almost forced her into that. Uh, She became pregnant, and um, to cover up that sin, he sends Uriah, her husband, into the front line of the battle where he will almost certainly be killed. And he is killed. And it it seems like from reading the scriptures that maybe he thinks he gets away with it. Like he doesn't doesn't seem like he is um, feeling any conviction or guilt about that until... The prophet Nathan comes and really speaks God's word. God speaks through him to David saying, like, basically, you messed up. Like, you're the man that you were condemning to me just now, if you remember that story. And then David, we see, is just overcome with guilt and conviction. And the very next thing that the Bible seems to lay out is you have Psalm 51. So this is a peek behind the curtain, once again, of of a man after God's own heart. Someone who is considered one of the most godly Uh, people in the Old Testament, king of Israel, God's chosen person for that role, and he is coming to God, and he is broken. What he did was horrific. There's not too many other things on, like, the list of really bad sins that we would lay out that is worse than what he did. Yet, he is coming to God in this moment. So this is really important, the psalm is, for us to understand what's going on here. Because this is something God calls us to. That is repentance. Repentance. Um, Charles Spurgeon says this about repentance. Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character 
which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. Um, Kids in the room, if you have ever done something wrong and you feel like you know it, right? Like you, you, you feel bad. Maybe even before your parents get on to you, you feel bad. You feel um, um, maybe a little dirty. Like you know you did something wrong. What the Bible calls that, man, it may have been sin. And the Bible calls us to repent. And, and the first step for you all is probably going to your parents and talking to them about it. Because they probably already know. But it's safe to go to your parents and talk to them about what you've done. And that is that kind of mirrors the process that God talks about of repentance in the Bible. Martin Luther, the reformer, says this about repentance. He says, our Lord Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And what Martin Luther was really getting at there is that repentance is one of the main ways we make progress in the Christian life. So one of the best signs of a growing disciple of Jesus is this consistent um, habit and practice of repentance. One thing we say here uh, quite a bit, as much as we can, is that it's okay not to be okay when you come here. It's okay to not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. The Bible doesn't want us to stay in that place, but it's okay to come where you're at. God wants you where you're at, but he's not going to leave you that way. And part, the, one of the tools in that process that God gives us is repentance. Repent or repentance, those, <clears throat> those words are used almost 100 times in the scriptures. Jesus used them nearly 20 times in the gospels. This is an important idea in the scripture. So why don't we do it more? Why don't I do it more? Why don't we talk about it more in the church? And just from my experience of talking to people in the church and our church, different churches, like this is not something that is on the top of everyone's list to talk about. We talk about reading our Bible. We talk about praying. maybe even talk about fasting, giving. But we don't talk about repentance being a practice very often. I think there are two main reasons why. Number one is that we don't believe God is as gracious and merciful as the Bible says he is. Like maybe we know it as an idea, we know it as a principle, yeah, God's full of grace, yes, God's full of mercy, but do we, have we tasted and experienced the goodness of God's grace and his mercy? That's one of the main reasons why. The other one, I believe, is that we don't think we are bad enough to need his grace and mercy. We don't think we are sinful enough to really need to repent on a daily basis. Maybe we're comparing ourselves to other people, and they're at least external sins maybe seem worse than ours so it kind of makes us feel okay and it's like i'm not at least as bad as them maybe that's why we're not repenting more or we just don't think we're uh, that bad of a person maybe you have the type of story in your past that um, you maybe weren't a really bad person before you came to know jesus you didn't have any major external sins before you came to know jesus so maybe you still don't think like think that you were saved from much but what the bible teaches is that Um, We're not condemned because of just sins we commit. That's a part of it. We're actually condemned apart from Jesus because of our sin nature. Because of our sin nature. The the Bible uh, calls us um, children of wrath. Right? We're in Adam. Those kinds of, that kind of language. So it's not just our sins that condemn us. It is actually um, our sin nature. Nature, And if it's our sin nature, we can't just look at these surface level sins and, and maybe have this hierarchy of good and bad. 
We're all in the same boat. We're all condemned apart from Jesus because of our sin nature. So let's look at Psalm 51. And we're only going to look at verse 1 today in this psalm. And here's why. I think when we look at this psalm, oftentimes we go straight to David. We start looking at David, thinking how David approached God. What did he say? We're going to cover that more next week. So this is part one of a two-part little deal on Psalm 51. Uh, But today I just want to focus on the character of God. I just want to focus on God because we have to ask him something, something we miss in this is that what kind of view did David have of God for him to come to God in this moment and say these things? David was a man after God's own heart. He spent time with God. He was considered a great uh, teacher and he had wisdom and all of these things. And so before we can talk about the, the how and the what of repentance, we need to talk about God and the character of God because we can't go there without understanding who God is. So let's look at verse 1. Right out of the gate, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. Very first line, have mercy on me, O God. So there's something about God that David knows um, that he can just come to God off the whim here and say, have mercy on me, O God. And then the, the next line here says, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. So he, he's basing the ability to come to him and plead with him to have mercy on him based off of two things. One, his steadfast love, God's steadfast love, and God's abundant mercy. Right? So that's why he feels able to come to God in his sin. I mean, and this was a bad, bad deal. Like this was a horrific thing David did, and yet he knows the character and nature of God enough to come to him and say, have mercy on me, and believe that God would have mercy on him. And he attributes that to the steadfast love and abundant mercy. And then he says, blot out my transgressions in that fourth line there. He believes that he can ask God to, to, to clear the transgressions, to blot them out, take them off the record because of those two characteristics, his love and his mercy. Now, Paul echoes, I think, this psalm in Ephesians 2. So I want us to go to Ephesians 2. We're going to spend really the rest of our time in this verse, Ephesians 2, um, verse 4. But before we get there, I wanted to set the context for this. In, in Ephesians 2, the first three verses here... Paul uses words to explain our nature, that sin nature. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Meaning that we we, we weren't on life support, we were dead. We were corpses spiritually before God intervened and called us to himself. We were dead in our trespasses. He says, and in verse 3 he says, and we were by nature children of wrath. So not that we were just sinful, but think about that, children of wrath. Wrath, the idea conceived children and we were those children right so we were children of wrath then in verse four so that sets up verse four because we have to hear that and feel that before we get to verse four but god so in contrast to that who you once were he's talking to christians who their lives have been changed so he's reminding them who they are and then he says but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So what is, let's focus on these words that Paul uses here. He says, but God, but he says, being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Not um, uh, uh, just merciful enough or sufficiently merciful, but rich in mercy. I think when we use that, uh, that, that um, word rich in our 
culture and our world, what we're really talking about, we're usually talking about wealth, and we're saying that someone has way more wealth than they need for the basics, right? Like they, they're, they're, they have enough for the basics, enough to live off of, but then they have a lot more than that, either in wealth or money or possessions. That's when we, we usually use that term rich. So God doesn't just have a, a little bit of mercy or he's sufficiently merciful to cover our sin. He is overflowing and he's rich in mercy. He has unlimited supply of mercy. And notice he says being rich in mercy. This wasn't he was rich in mercy or he's becoming rich in mercy. This is a, 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 um, a state of being that God has. He's being rich in mercy, and that's never changing, right? It's just that's who he is. That's constant. And then when you feel like you've squandered God's mercy, we've probably all been there at times when we're going through a really rough season. Maybe there's something, we, we, a sin issue that we just can't overcome. There are times when we think, is, is God tired of me? Is God tired of me coming to him? Is he tired of me um, struggling with this and overcoming this? And the answer is no, he's not. Because he just pours out more. He's overflowing with mercy. The scriptures say that his mercies are new every morning. Meaning, like when we wake up, it's a full tank. When we go to bed... Whatever we feel when we wake up, it's a full tank again. It's not like gas where that, those levels get lower and lower and we have to worry about God running out of mercy. No, he's rich and overflowing in mercy. And we look at the life of Jesus, he's the perfect imprint of, of, of this merciful God. You think of just, just all the stories of Jesus. For a, a couple of examples, um, when he touches the unclean leper... Lepers were somebody, they were marginalized in society. They were considered unclean. There were leper colonies. I mean, they, these people, people stayed away from lepers, but yet Jesus reached out and touched them in front of people, showing his love and his compassion for the untouchable, for the unlovable. Maybe some of you in here, the same way as that leper, maybe it's not a skin disease, but you feel unlovable. You feel untouchable. You feel dirty. You feel like if people really knew you, they wouldn't want to be around you. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus would reach out in a physical way and touch you even in the midst of all your dirt and the filth that we often find ourselves in. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. One time he says they were harassed and they were, they were helpless. These crowds that were following Jesus around, and I can imagine how annoying that would have been for me at least when these crowds wouldn't leave him alone. Like he couldn't get alone. He had to go into a, a small boat in the middle of a lake to get alone to have some time with God. But yet he looks at these crowds and he has compassion on them. He cares for them. He loves them. He comforts the weeping. He wept with people when their, um, when their, uh, when their friends and family died. He wept for people who died. This is, again, God in the flesh. This is who God is. He was a friend of sinners, Jesus was. And he had this episode when he stooped to the level of a woman who was caught in adultery. When everybody that was religious at the time wanted to stone, wanted to kill this woman. Yet Jesus stops him, gets down on her level, eye to eye, in the dirt, in the dust, and says, where are they at? <laughs> there was nobody there. They all dropped their rocks and left. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Because he, he saw she was broken. She knew she was sinful. Everyone was telling her she was sinful. She was broken. She needed a savior, and he met her in that moment. Looked her in the eye and said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Just think of the, the love that this, this woman would have had, and just the freedom to hear those words when everybody that was religious in her day wanted to kill her. 
This is the heart of God. So why do we hide when we sin, when we mess up? Why don't we hide? Why don't we run? Why don't we come to the good and loving Father and say, I need help. I'm struggling. I messed up like David did here. I think of my four-year-old son, Jax. Like one of the things as he's getting older that just really breaks my heart. I'm not being, I'm not being, um, Hyper, I'm not using hyperbole there. Like I, I really, I, I think of um, for him to feel like he's done something wrong to the point that I don't love him or he's afraid of me and he goes and hides or he puts his head down or he goes into this really, he turns, turns inward on himself and begins to, to get melancholy because of something he did wrong. He disappointed uh, Nicole and I. And that just breaks my heart that he would, Think that about me in his little mind of trying to figure out, is daddy safe? Is mommy safe when I mess up? And I just want to grab him and say, yes, we're safe. When you mess up, yes, we want you to come to us. Our love doesn't change based off your behavior. Our love doesn't change based off of you having a good day and a bad day. It doesn't. What's most important is you're here sitting in front of me so I can hold you and I can look you in the eye and tell you that I love you. And you're my son, and that's, that's it, period. And we can talk about the behavior or whatever, but most of all, I need him to feel and understand that I love him, no matter what he does. And I'm an imperfect, sinful, selfish, earthly father. And if I feel those feelings towards my son, I can't imagine the way God feels for his children, whom he's already sent his son to die for them. Like, this is the heart of God. Maybe some of us are, are runners. We don't hide. We don't, like, kind of afraid of God. Maybe we run. We distract ourselves. We find other things to do so we don't have to think about our sin. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's um, studying. It could be whatever it is. Just a distraction from having to actually deal with these feelings of sin, these feelings of dirtiness, these feelings of, of, of spiritual leprosy, Right? How are you dealing with those things? God says, come to me. The passage you read at the beginning of our time, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want relationship with you. Um, so our confidence in God's mercy and his character can make repentance not only tolerable, but desirable. Like if this is what repentance is, why aren't we like every morning waking up ready to go repent? We should be because the followers are saying, come on, let me give you some more mercy. Let me give you some more love. Let me show you who I am as a father that loves you. Um, Tim Keller talks about this, that, that confession doesn't lead us to shame, but actually away from it. Um, he says, fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves. So if we're afraid of God, we hold it in, we hide, we run. Over time, it makes us hate ourselves. Sin eats us away from the inside. But he says, joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. Coming to God and saying, I'm tired of this. This is messing with me. This is stealing my joy. I don't want to do this anymore. Help me. That gets us to focus on God, feel the connection and the relationship, and now sins the enemy, which it is. And we need to hate our sin. And we need to fight our sin. But if, we're taught, if, we're, if we hate ourselves, there's no way we're going to be able to fight our sin. So back to the two kinds of, to kind of close, I want us to give us just some practical handles. Two kinds of people that we, that there are two issues of repentance at the beginning. Like one type or group of people we probably go back and forth between these depending on the season of our life but there are those who don't see their need for confession or repentance people maybe uh, have a small view of god's holiness and for you i would say you need to spend more time in the scriptures and meditating and thinking about the holiness the power the sovereignty the love the perfection all of those things of god 
We just gotta spend more time dwelling and meditating on the beauty of God. Those of you maybe in here that aren't followers of Jesus or you've been out of church for a while, like what do you do with conviction? What do you do when your conscience is nagging you when you've done something wrong? The Bible tells us that all human beings feel this. Romans 1 speaks to that. That there's this this feeling that we've broken God's law deep, deep down inside of all human beings. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't know what to do. Like, what do you do? What do you do to escape that feeling? And it's usually things that are bad for you that you run to to escape the nagging feeling that you are broken and you need a savior. Romans 2, 4, God, uh, uh, Paul says here, a ki- the, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not the fear of God, not even the holiness of God. Even those things are true, but in this passage, he said, it's the kindness of God that leads us into repentance. Do you believe God is kind? And so, again, like I said at the beginning, it's not the sins we commit that condemns us. It's our sin nature that condemns us. So if you're, you think you're good, that you're, you're, you're a pretty good person, therefore there's no need to repentance, just look at God more. The more you look at God, the more you understand his character and nature, the less you will become. And that's a really good thing in the Christian life, that we become less and God becomes more. Now, for the next group, uh, those of you who don't understand God's grace and mercy, or you have, maybe, you have a small view of God's grace, Right? You, you Maybe the other group has a small view of God's holiness. You have a small view of God's grace and mercy. And hopefully we've, we've tackled that well. Um, but if you're looking to your behavior for acceptance, it, this is a treadmill to nowhere. Right, like This is a miserable way to live if you're going to continue to try to perform your way into God's good graces. This is why a lot of people say, hey, yeah, I've tried that Christian life thing and it just doesn't work. It's just not for me. Well, you probably didn't try the Christian life where God is overflowing with grace and mercy. You probably tried the Christian life that says, be a really good person and try really hard. And that is miserable. That is awful. That's a treadmill that just goes and goes and goes, and you never experience God's grace and mercy. You'll continue to feel the weight of your sin, and it will crush you. Um, So instead of drudgery, what if we saw repentance as an opportunity to crawl back into the lap of our Heavenly Father? Like, I want my four-year-old to come to me and, and say, I'm struggling, Daddy. I need your help, Mommy. I've done something wrong. And I say, that's okay, buddy. We'll try again next time. But I love you. I care for you. I'm your dad. I'm your mom. And nothing is going to change that. Repentance becomes a freeing and joyful process where then we can be reconnected experientially with the relationship we have with God and then how, do, how does obedience sound then? Well, it sounds much more doable, right? We have the freedom to obey our Heavenly Father who is awesome and lovable and loving us well in the midst of our sin. Therefore, yeah, God, Father, what do you want me to do? How can I honor you? How can I glorify you? And if we mess up, we run right back to him and say, Daddy, I messed up again. I need to talk to you about this. And that is a lifestyle of repentance. I want to read this quote from a book over us, and then I'll pray and we'll close this is from uh, a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, a newer book that I'm reading right now. It says this, whom do you perceive him to be, this is God, in your sin and in your suffering? Who, who do you think God is? Not just on paper, but in the kind of person you believe is hearing you when you pray. How does he feel about you? His saving of us is not cool and calculating. It is a matter of yearning, not yearning for the Facebook you, Not the you that you project to everyone around you. Not the you that you wish you were. He's yearning for the real you. 
the you underneath everything you tried to present to others. That's who God wants. That's who God wants to come to him in our moments of suffering, in our moments of sin and weakness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you once again for your word and that I don't have to come up here and every week and try to find something creative to say or um, try to find um, something new and fresh to say that we can just go to your word. And we see passages like Psalm 51 and um, Ephesians 2.4 where it's just this richness of your mercy and your abundant love that you have for broken and messed up people. And that we can believe that because it's your very word. It's not my wisdom. It's coming from the word. And we're thankful that we can bank on that. And we know that that's truth. And now we just want to spend time with you and, 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 and cultivate some practices that will allow us to think about that as often as we can. So help us with that. Help us not be distracted. Help us focus on your character. Help us focus on your, your grace, your mercy. But maybe some of us need to focus on your holiness so that we will desire to come to you in repentance. <clears throat> and, and maybe more than anything this morning, I pray that we would feel, I said feel, experience the love that you have for us. The, 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 the desperation that I want my four-year-old son to feel the love I have for him. I pray that we would feel the same way that our heavenly father feels about us. Help us. In your son's name we pray, amen.